I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Uh, today we're talking uh, a little bit about adoption. I'm very excited for my uh, for you to meet our guests, who I'm going to invite to introduce themselves. Uh, and we're just going to do our name, our pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your family's composition. So you know how many parents, kids, ages, if you're able to able to say you know, if you have biological kids, adopt a kid, you know, whatever that means to you. And if you need me to repeat that, because it's a lot, let me know. Hi, my name is Julie. Uh, I live in beautiful Winchester, Virginia, which is about an hour and a half outside DC. My family is my husband, Travis, and then I have two daughters. Lorelai is six years old and Amber is 17. Lorelai is adopted. I adopted her when she was born. I was the first one to hold her uh, besides the doctor. And uh, Amber is my stepdaughter, but we are very lucky. We all live here uh, together full time. My pronouns are she, her. I am Kim. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, Most of the time. I am from New York, born and raised. My family comprises of uh, my partner, who is female, and I have two, we have two children. My older daughter, who is about to turn 16, and she's biological, um, I gave birth to her, and our son, who is about to turn 12, and he is adopted through the foster care system. And he joined our family when he was nine days old. Hi, I'm Nicole. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. I'm from South Jersey, about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. I'm an elementary teacher for, this is my 13th school year. And um, my family's composition, I am married. And my wife and I have six children um, adopted through foster care. Our oldest son is 10, and our next, sorry, my son's rattling the door. I locked the door. (laughs) So if you hear that, he's trying to get in. My daughter just turned nine. My next daughter just turned seven. My third daughter's five. And then uh, our second son just turned four. And our baby is two and almost a half. And who's Um, rattling the door right now? The two and a half year old, Tyrant. (laughs) Yes. She's she's on her own for lunch and nap, so he's uh, I guess he's gotten away from the <laughs> from the table. I don't know what he's doing, but well, if you need to duck out at any time, just let me know. I I also I nanny two and a half year old twins. I know that's like the the twins that I'm with right now. It's it's tough because of because of COVID. It's like the the par- one parent is working from home, the other parent is often home, uh, depending on her schedule, and then it's like. It's a small two bedroom. So there's three adults, two kids, and they know the parents are there, right? Like a door doesn't trick them. And and so they're like, I know your mom's behind that door. And you're like, you're just not as cool as mom. Sorry, Seth. Like no one's as cool as your parents, right? So I know, I know that door shaking game. 
At any rate, uh, before we sort of jump into our topic, I always ask this this question as our first question because we uh, we talk a lot on this podcast about you know just kind of uh, sort of tricky topics or things that are maybe a little difficult to navigate. Or um, and so I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child asked you a question that you weren't prepared to answer or kind of caught you off guard. My youngest daughter, my six year old, um, has a I'll say dramatic family life uh, from the beginning. I um, I'm the only constant, uh, I should say, of immediate family. Um, I was married uh, when I first adopted her. Um, so it was my husband and I at the time. And then when she, when Lorelai, the six-year-old, was a little under two, my husband actually came out as a transgender woman. And, um, you know, I, I told her I wanted to be there for her, but also that I was not gay. Um, and, and that just wasn't marriage wasn't going to work for me. And so we ended up splitting up. So in addition to um, being adopted, which we've been open about um, since the very beginning, my ex and I were sharing custody for a while. um, And she eventually um, signed away her parental rights. And so my husband, my current husband, Travis, uh, adopted Lorelai. And so now she has two parents, um, again. But you know, at, at a point she had three moms. And so I wouldn't say she never necessarily had questions about that. It was just sort of a natural thing to her. And and in fact, she, you know, would brag, well, I have three moms. <laughs> but, you know, as, as my ex um, sort of faded into the background um, and, and she hasn't seen her in uh, she's only seen her once in two years now. Um, you know, sometimes she has questions about about where my ex is. You know, can can she go over there? And and um, there was there was an abuse situation happening. So it's that is a question um, that I still honestly don't know how to answer. And I have just you know she she tells me um, I miss Mila, which is uh, the name that that my that she had for my ex and I say I know sweetie um and if she wants to call um I let her call but my ex has um wouldn't see her um under the supervised conditions um that I set so unfortunately um they haven't seen each other in person like I said more than more than once in two years Mm -hmm. um but in terms of the adoption the initial adoption I should say she's never really cared I know that that will become an issue later in life uh, or at least I assume. Um, but you know, I've been, I've been mom to her since day one. And, and I'm, oh my gosh, so lucky for that. It can be so tricky to answer those, those kinds of questions as far as, you know, the the first sort of set of things that you're talking about with your, with your ex, I think, because kids, like, especially at a young age, there's this mentality of like, but I want to do it. So like, why can't I do it? You know, it's exactly the same as the door. Like, I want to see my parent. They're right there. What do you mean? Like, you have to work. Like, that means nothing to me, right? And so I think that it can be hard sometimes when it's that young age with like, where you can't really rationalize. Like, you can you can rationalize, but it doesn't, you know, uh, developmentally always kind of compute for them. Right, right. And it, and it is, it is hard. I, you know, I don't, I have no problem saying, no, you can't have dessert. <laughs> Didn't eat your vegetables. But when it comes to this, you know, and I, I know she has very real feelings, even if she can't express them quite as much as an adult can. Um, and so I never wanted to be the reason that she wasn't seeing my ex. So anytime she asks to uh, call her, like I said, I, I try to 
keep that open. But when it comes to, you know, oh, I want to have a sleepover over there, which she doesn't really say anymore. Um, but about a year ago, you know, and it, it was just hard to, I, I didn't really have an explanation for her at that age to say, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I used to get this a lot from when Caleb, our son was in preschool, you know, and he's dark skinned, African-American boy. And he, it's, it's, we got, a, and I'm, you know, this white Jewish lady, you know, <laughs> and, you know, our daughter is this like blonde, blue eyed, you know, kid. And so we used, you know, a lot of the little kids at the preschool would say things like, are you his mommy? Like, how are you his mommy? Um, you know, he's a different color than you. Are you his sister? You know, how are you his sister? Yeah, you know, so a lot of that kind of stuff uh, from little kids who didn't quite understand that, you know, even though we're different colors, we're still a family. Um, so things like that. And just definitely like kind of funny, strange situations where, you know, we went to the public pool one time and we were taking the bus on the way home and his skin gets very dry after being in the chlorine. And so his skin looked really ashy. And this nanny from the, looked like she was from the Caribbean, um, handed me this note saying, you know, you have to take care of his skin. <laughs> so, and I've gotten that a lot. Like, you have to take care of his skin. And, you know, black skin is different than white skin. And, um, yeah, so lots of kind of things like that, like people just out of nowhere offering advice on how to take care of his skin, how to take care of his hair, um, so things like that. Um, you know, as far as like questions from him, um, I mean, we were talking to him about being adopted from day one and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to deny it. He's a different color. <laughs> so, it's pretty apparent, um, but you know we, you know, we definitely like would read books to him about you know transracial adoption, you know, from very beginning, and he never really had questions, but he definitely brought up things when he was like three-ish. I would say it was very important to him. Like he would walk around the neighborhood, and he'd say, "Why is everyone white?" I have that same question in my neighborhood. I feel like. <laughs> right? You know, and sadly, Park Slope is a very white neighborhood, you know? And so you look around, you're like, where are all the people that look like me? Where, you know, everyone's white. And um, and he would say, he, he said to us a, uh, a couple of times when, it was all around the same age, like three, four years old, where kind of race was really important to him. And he would say, like, I'm a different color than you. I don't belong in this family. It was really sad, you know, but it was just like this very kind of brief period that it was like very much about race was very much his identity. You know, he would see like this poster of someone wearing African garb and he'd be like, those are my people. <laughs> it was really, it's really funny. It was like kind of interesting to see how he was developing his identity. So, I mean, not a particular like question, but definitely things that kind of came up. Yeah, for sure. And I think like what you were talking about in the beginning about like other kids noticing too, I think that's why. And I mean, also for him too, like you were saying, like you have, you know, books where there are, you know, where he's 
represented in and things like that. I think like books, I'm, I'm such a big lover of kids books. And I think like reading kids books and having things where like different kinds of people are represented is so important because like, you know, if those other kids, uh, not to say that they, you know, kids ask questions all the time. So not to say that that would stop these questions, but like, right. Like if, you know, from day one, like with my kids who I've been with now, they're uh, two and a half now, the twins that I'm with, but they were like eight months when I started. And, you know, from day one with them, like I was always reading them books featuring people of color, featuring different family makeups, featuring, you know, people with disabilities, like all these different kinds of things. So eventually when they see them in the world, they're not going to be like shocked, you know, what is that? A family that's, you know, where people can be different colors, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I read that in that book last week. And so I think that, you know, especially as like educators and things like that, right? That's always, that's why it's important, like, as an educator, a classroom educator, too, to, like, know the families and know, right, you should always be inclusive with the books that you're reading. But especially, like, if you know you have someone of a specific background, like, to bring in books about those things is so important to just, like, it's part of teaching, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we actually changed his school so he could be in a school that's more diverse. And they, the teachers always said, oh, we brought in, you know, more books to make sure that there are same-sex you know, families in the books or there's kids of color in the books and, you know, um, which was really awesome. I was like, yes, this is why I moved you to the school. Fabulous. What a good resource to have. I know when I, there was uh, one kid who I was nannying at one point and I went to pick him up from school and it was right in the beginning of the school year that I was, I was with him like from the summer to the start of school uh, a couple of months in and they asked, they were like, oh, Seth, by the way, we forgot to ask, what are your pronouns? And I was just like, like the teachers asked me as the nanny and I was like, whoa, this is like some cool woke school. <laughs> he, he, he was in like a really cool, like private school with like, it was like an alternative kind of learning play type thing. Uh, but I was just like, ooh, this, this is awesome. I wish I got asked that question more often. But anyway, uh, Nicole, do you have anything to add to that? Um, just recently and not adoption related, my oldest is about to be 11. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm biologically female. My wife's biologically female and he's biologically male and we're kind of getting to the point in time of puberty. So there's been some questions that I wasn't as prepared as I'd like to have been specifically. So, you know, we, we did some reading and I bought some books for him and, um, you know, now we're okay. But yeah, that was, that was a good time. Yeah. We get that a lot in our house. (laughs) I don't know if you have this one or if you've heard of this one, but there's a really great book for that age called The Everybody Book by Rachel E. Simon. And it's like a super inclusive, like there's trans people, there's like a pregnant trans man represented in that book in the illustrations. Like there's, it's amazing. But yeah, it's a, it's honestly, it's like, I can't stop raving about it. Anytime someone's talking about that topic, I'm like, get this book. But yeah, so I guess that was something I would have, would have liked to be more prepared for. But as far as adoption um, questions, things come up, I guess, like around three or four same kind of ages when they're, um, you know, in preschool and everyone has, everyone's talking about their dads and all that kind of stuff. So I I got a lot of, um, from all of them at some point, you know, how come we don't have a daddy? So that was not fun to answer. I guess, you know, stuff that comes up when they're unpacking like their own adoption, you know, everyone has their own story. Each one of the six is very different. It cycles, you know, it cycles when, when stuff comes up for them. Um, so it's not just one conversation and done. It's, you know, it's constant. And I, you know, some of the questions are hard to answer. I don't have all the answers sometimes, you know, about birth story and, you know, how come, how come my birth mom, you know, couldn't take care of me. And, you know, I, I have tried to reach out to each one of their, uh, birth families at different times, which I know is something we're going to talk about later, but, you know, it's some of them 
have relationships and some of them don't. So that's hard for the ones that don't, whether, you know, that's the birth parents choice or I just cannot find them. So um, I guess that has that has been a little um, difficult as well. Yeah, I can imagine that being really hard because you don't you don't want it to come off like you're unloved or you know what I mean? Like, I think that um, I can imagine that, like, you know, being like that, that my, you know, birth parent didn't want to, doesn't want to, you know, have anything to do with me or something like that, feeling like, like trying to reinforce that, like, you are still, you know what I mean? That doesn't mean that you're unlovable, you know what I mean? I can imagine that being a difficult, I'm having trouble articulating it right now. So I can imagine it being a difficult conversation to navigate with a child for sure. You know, I just try to reinforce how much that they are loved here and acknowledge that that is hurtful and that they are allowed to feel however they feel. And, you know, that I can keep trying on my end as much as I can. And, you know, other than that, you know, what we can control, we control and what's out of our control, we we can't. So I hope that, you know, that is enough for them. I'll find out when they're adults, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, but I think like, right, and even like you're practicing what you preach, because like, you can only do what you can do as a person too, right? And like, work with information that you have. And, you know, it's it's like, I think it's an important thing for kids to learn. And like you were saying too, about like, just validating feelings and saying, like, it's okay to be upset about that, right? You know, it's an upsetting thing. And I think that the more we validate kids' feelings, the better. I think it's so important because as adults, I think sometimes uh, we're taught, you know, at a young age, um, there's a lot of gender that comes in that to that too, right? Like boys don't cry and that kind of, you know, boys have to be tough or um, things like that. Or And I think that it's so important that, you know, as kids, we learn that it's okay to, you know, be in touch with our emotions because then when we're adults, we could be in touch with our emotions too, for sure. Yeah, especially if you're raising, like, I think about this a lot, like raising a, a black boy, you know, and kind of the, the stigma attached to black boys and boys in general don't have the vocabulary typically um, that girls do to express their feelings. And so, and then when you add color on top of that, it reduces kind of the ability to express yourself in a constructive way dramatically. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's interesting kind of thinking about what, you know, what's he going to be like as a, you know, an older teen black boy or an adult black man. And, you know, um, we, we often joke cause we like, you know, listen to a lot of Broadway and we're like, yeah, he's going to be this, you know, black Jewish man listening to Broadway. <laughs> And, you know, and, and I'm a psychology professor, so I'm like, yeah, and I'll be talking about his feelings. No, he won't have any problems <laughs> at all, really. <laughs> I know we've uh, we've already been, just through this first question, we've already been touching on, on our topic already, but sort of diving in more intentionally, I'm curious, you know, if a kid walked up to you and was like, what is adoption? You know, how could we explain that in a kid-friendly way? You know, I don't. I don't know that any kid actually has ever asked me <laughs> what adoption is. You know what? That's not true. I, I think it has been asked. So I believe um, what I've said in the past, you know, I've said something, you know, well, Lorelai's adopted. And if a, a child would ask the same, and I'm talking about, um, you know, this happened more when she was in preschool, I guess. So so toddler, toddler preschool age children. Um, I said, well, you know, um, Lorelai... What I tell Lorelai is mommy's tummy was broken. Um, and uh, so she, you know, wanted a baby and got so, so lucky uh, that mommy Miranda, and that's what we call her birth mother, said, you know what, I 
I can't take care of a baby and I want to make sure that somebody who loves her and cares for her is going to do that for me. And so she gave her to me. Uh, She gave you to me, whoever I'm talking to. (laughs) Um, And uh, Lorelai has expressed, uh, you know, I wish I grew in your tummy. I think she said that she's probably three or four. You know, we we do have a relationship with her birth mother. Um, And uh, all of her friends, you know, I I love that kids are curious. And I actually love uh, when I'm asked about things so that I can explain to them in a way that is, um, you know, as, as comprehensive as possible for a four-year-old and, and, and also kind. So people can learn, you know, oh, well, okay. We're, we're all different. doesn't matter. Yeah. I usually say something, you know, similar to what Julie said, um, as far as, you know, there are some mommies who really want their babies and want to be able to take care of them, but they don't have the ability to. Um, and whether, you know, it could be because of money, it could be because of things happening in their life. It could be because of sickness or they're just in a really difficult position right now and they aren't able to take care of their child. And so they have to, you know, find someone who will love that child and care for that child. Our situation, um, we're, you know, not in touch with the birth mother. And so, uh, and she was in a, a tough situation. And so that's kind of how we uh, explain it. Our adoption stories come specifically from foster care. So we um, have always talked about um, very openly with them that, you know, sometimes there's moms and dads that are having trouble taking care of, of their babies and kids. Um, you know, because we first have to talk about, you know, what is foster care really? So. Um, you know, and there are foster parents to help take care of those babies and kids while the mommies and daddies are getting better, whether it's mental health, whether it's, you know, drug abuse, whether um, it's uh, finding somewhere to live that's safe. Maybe it's taking classes to be a better mommy or daddy. Um, And if they can't do that, you know, then the judge has to make a decision. And sometimes those babies and kids get to stay with the foster parents and, um, and they get adopted and they get, they all have the same last name. That's how we kind of go off of it in our house. And, um, and they live together and they take care of them, you know, forever. So that's, that's kind of how we, uh, we've explained it at our house. Nicole, do you find that you're, and I would assume this more of your older children, did they, are they able to talk to each other? Do you find about that, about being adopted? They don't really, surprisingly. It's just like, it's not like a, it's not a big deal to them on a day to day. Um, because it's just all they've known. I think my oldest, uh, you know, for a very long time and in kindergarten specifically thought babies came from caseworkers. <laughs> I remember, you know, in kindergarten, he had a, a friend, you know, whose mom had, was pregnant at the time. And, you know, it's, you know, oh, so-and-so is going to have, uh, you know, a baby sister or brother. And um, he was wondering, you know, where the caseworker was. <laughs> Because that was his everyday norm, you know, that, you know, at three or four, you know, he, you know, his little sisters were dropped off at, at one point or another. And um, he asked, 
my best friend at one point, you know, who adopted you? Because he just, that's, he just assumed, you know, that that was everyone. They don't really talk about it until um, someone may or may not uh, be unpacking something and ask, you know, at the dinner table, like, you know, a birth parent question. And my oldest will be like, you know, that makes me sad. I don't want to talk about it right now. Whereas, you know, my, my middle daughter will talk about it to anyone who will listen, you know, so it's just their varying degrees of, I guess, comfort uh, with their own uh, story at this point, but they don't really, they don't really talk about it like on a daily to each other. No. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's funny when you were, um, when you were talking about the caseworker thing, it just made me think about, I, um, when I was in college, I did a lot of babysitting and I went, I used like care.com and a lot of those online places to find family placements. And I was uh, babysitting. I went for like the interview for uh, the, for this particular family. And the, I, I, I guess they had a lot of different babysitters over the years. And the older kid who was about six came out and said, mom, did you order another babysitter on the internet? And I thought that was like, I was an Amazon delivery. <laughs> Going off of what Nicole was talking about, I'm, I'm curious to know what the relationship is between, uh, between your children. And, you know, for those of you who have uh, biological children as well, what's the relationship between your biological and adoptive children? And, you know, have there been any challenges as far as that? So in my family, uh, like I said, my, my one child is adopted and my oldest is my stepdaughter. Um, so she is biologically my husband's. Um, her mom is only in the picture for, uh, she goes and visits her um, out of state a couple weeks a year, again, until this year. It's, uh, you know, I met her when she was 13. I have a wish that I was there earlier and could have gotten to know her um, as more of a child and not just an adolescent. But I think for her, she was relieved to have another parent. Uh, and, and, you know, she expresses to me not not often, she's not she's not huggy like my six year old. Um, but just how much she loves and appreciates me and makes me very happy to have that. And it also makes me happy that the two girls, while they have very different situations, um, neither one has sort of the more traditional, you know, grew up with two parents. And, and so when they are older, um, and, you know, possibly have to deal with more of the identity issues, um, that I hope that they'll be able to talk to each other about that. I guess for for my kids, so they're four years apart, and he just absolutely worships her. It's just it's just the sweetest, cutest thing. Like any time she will spend any moments with him, he just like lights up. It's just the cutest thing. And I, it's kind of always been like that. They're they're pretty close, which is really nice. Um, and there hasn't been any like kind of weirdnesses as far as you know you're adopted or you're a different color like it not even when they were little it was I mean it was kind of strange talk about like you know you come from the caseworker like you know we you know we he came through foster care and so we didn't know when we were a baby was going to show up at our door and like she went to sleep one night and, you know, we got a call at like, you know, nine o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. And, you know, he shows up at two in the morning 
And like, so you can imagine, like, she wakes up in the morning and there's a baby. And, <laughs> like, and like, not only, and we co-sleep. And so like, not only was there like a baby in the house, but a baby in the bed with us, like in between us. And, um, and so she like walked into the room and she sees this baby in the bed with us where like her habit when she was little was, you know, when she would wake up, she would come into bed with us and snuggle. And she walks in, she comes into bed ready to snuggle and she sees the baby and she walks out and just bursts out in tears and and, like asks if we can return him for a girl. But they have a really nice relationship. Um, So it's nice. It's good. My kids' relationships, they all have, you know, some sort of commonality obviously they're all adopted through foster care so we don't have any kind of um of that like oh you're you came out of mommy's belly and I didn't kind of thing but but we do have you know the differences of uh the birth stories which I I kind of touched on a little bit earlier and so my first three um I adopted as a single parent um before my wife and I met my oldest two are white and my third, second daughter is black. And then I met my wife, who's also black. And then we together um, took in a baby from the NICU, 13 uh, days old. He was five pounds when he came home. He was a month early. And he is um, black and Hispanic. And um, it is also one of those stories where the kids go to bed and the next day they wake up and there's a new baby and they're like, oh, yay, baby. And like, where did he come from? And they had no idea. It's it is kind of funny. Um, And then so my uh, my second daughter, who's black, I she had her birth mom had um, another baby um, who was already two in the system. And I did not know. And so we just get this phone call, you know, we have three kids and this new foster baby who we don't know what's going to happen. Right. And he was, I think he was, he had just turned one and we, I get this random phone call and, uh, it was a caseworker and like, Hey, the judge wants to know if, uh, you'll take, you know, this bio sibling. And I was like, what? So then I'm calling my wife frantically at work. Like you sit down, you're never going to, you're never going to believe what just happened. Um, you know, Zaya has a sister and they want to know if, if we're going to, if we'll take her. And she, without hesitation said yes, which shocked me. Cause I was like, you've already been thrown into this, you know, marriage and I already had three kids and they were, none of those were your decision. Right. So, um, you know, what do you want to do? And she was just like, yes, like that's her sister, which made me fall more in love with her oh. that minute. But so, so then, um, then the two-year-old sister came and, um, then we found out that her birth mom was pregnant again. Um, and that was something we went back and forth with uh, a very long time. You know, how are we going to uh, manage, um, you know, not just uh, financially, but like also emotionally, right? We already have, you know, five. And at that point in time, they were all eight and under. So uh, he was born and they called my wife at work, not me, thankfully. And because I wasn't trying to put that uh, pressure on myself, it's like I kind of put the ball in her court. I was going to say yes, no matter what. But, you know, I felt like that was that was kind of up to her because, uh, 
uh, just of the situation that we had been in previously. And she said yes, and then there they go again. They go to bed, and a baby shows up, and it's like magic. So, so yeah, so, so out of our six, three of them are biological siblings. And you would think that that would matter to them, but it totally does not. And it's just like, why would I... You know, that's my own kind of, I guess, baggage, like thinking like, oh, it's going to matter to them. But um, it does not. And my oldest son is obsessed with with the baby and they just follows him around. He carries him. He helps him, you know, and same thing with my second, you know, my oldest daughter and are now, you know, five pound preemie is a four year old tornado. And, um, he follows her around. It's just, they have, they have a great, great relationships with each other, you know, and if they fight and they take stuff and they yell and it's just like a regular, right. Just like biological siblings in a household, you know, who, who didn't adopt any kids. So, I mean, I, I'm very, very grateful. Um, and they have, you know, great, great bonds. My husband had told me, but right before, right before he met me, um, he hadn't really dated anyone for uh, a couple of years since his, his wife had left. And at the time, I, I think Amber was 12. And she said, you know, dad, I, I really want a little brother or sister. And he was like, well, I'm sorry, kid, your mom and I aren't getting back together. And he's like, she's like, oh, no, no, I, you know, I, I want you to meet someone else and and so I can have a, a little brother and sister. So now that they have been uh, siblings for four years, she denies ever saying that. <laughs> at, at 10 years younger, it, it warms my heart to see her so annoyed by her six-year-old sister because it just feels like, you know, we were always together. <laughs> Sort of jumping into uh, kids' questions, I'm curious, you know, what are some of the tough questions that you've had to answer you know, from the kids you've adopted and how did you respond? Really, with my six-year-old, I, I mean, it's just not a very big part of her life. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of waiting for that. And sometimes I sort of write myself notes to think about how I feel now or, you know, really early on when she was born about identity and relationships and things like that. Um, but again, it's just, it's not part of things now. And I, I remember um, before adopting thinking, oh my God, you know, someday, someday this kid is going to get mad at me when they're like a teenager and be like, you're not my real mom and, and, and how I'm going to cry about it. But, you know, and, and I mean, certainly that would be something that would be a punch in the gut, but I, I really think that if she did that, it would, you know, purely be to like stick the knife in. And I hope that's never, <laughs> that is not who she becomes as a teenager because, you know, to her, I am her real mom. And, um, she is, um, I, I think the, the coronavirus has made her, uh, even more clingy just being home all the time. She's, you know, doing virtual school and, and, I've loved having um, both of them home full time. Um, it really has been awesome, you know, and there aren't, not that there aren't times where I'm like, oh my God, I need to get away. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, just, I think given, given her age, um, I really haven't had to deal with adoption questions yet. Hmm? There's, I mean, it's kind of like what I brought up earlier. I mean, the, you know, now that he's 11 turning 12, I mean, all he cares about is like, 
why aren't you letting me play tackle football? You know, like that. That's the only thing he cares about. Um, um, or why can't I get the new, you know, like Xbox game or whatever it is? So, I mean, identity for him was really important when he was like three, four years old. But really, it hasn't been very big since. I can't remember if it was, I think it was you, Nicole, that was talking about the, the gender thing. Yeah, that's that's been really funny, you know, because he's definitely pubescent. Um, and so, you know, a pubescent boy and like, you know, a two mommy family is, is hysterical. Um, and, and like, and like, we're all kind of, you know, a bunch of nudists. And so he like comes out of this shower and he's dancing around completely naked. And it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so you yeah, like kind of like weird, funny things like that, but you know, like nothing, you know, no hard questions as you know anything more than what i talked about you know earlier as i guess the only other um kind of uh tough questions about adoption specifically have been along the same lines of you know i guess you know how how come my mom couldn't take you know, how come my mom my birth mom couldn't take care of me and we ha- you know we have to have that conversation um individually you know whatever whatever may be the reasons, you know, a developmentally appropriate uh, response. Um, You know, every time we talk about it, obviously they get older and we get a little bit more into detail. Um, At some point they will be able to read. So I don't know if you learned about this in the foster parent one yesterday, but in New Jersey, when a child's uh, parental rights are terminated, it's called TPR. And they get this, um, well, we get it uh, as adoptive parents. Um, it's called a, a Part B. And it's pretty much a summary of their entire uh, life and their birth parents' lives, you know, written up uh, for you to have. And, you know, there's like health history and medical stuff like that as well. But so at some point, you know, they will be able to read that. It is pretty heavy. So. Um, you know, we're waiting, obviously, um, to a point where we think they're mature enough uh, to take that all um, on. You know, it's a big undertaking for me as a grown adult, even to have have read like have having read them. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, as as a teenager or young adult. Uh, what that will be like for them as well. So, um, but we do, you know, we do go into it in a little bit more detail the older they get, but the little ones really haven't, um, haven't really talked about it uh, much. It's really my older three. They also had uh, like post-adoption therapy after they were adopted. We did it like as a family and it was very, very like trauma based um, stuff like that. So um, they got to talk about a lot of that stuff with the therapist, you know, what does, what does mental health mean and what does drug abuse mean and how would that affect parenting? And, you know, what do you think are uh, things that a parent, you know, should be doing and what do you think, you know, so kind of to kind of guide them along um, and, and, iron out those feelings that they had, but yeah. And, and some of them have been, you know, like, how come I can't talk to my birth mom? Um, you know, it's just, they're not in a good place. It's not safe, uh, right now. And when they, if, and when they do get into a good place, you know, we'll be more than happy to, 
um, establish, you know, communication with them and, and um, support a relationship. At some point, you know, when they're 18, that's going to be their decision, no matter whether I think it's, you know, safe or not. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about that with them. We're, we've always been very uh, open and honest. Um, so I guess, you know, and then um, my my oldest daughter does have, you know, some siblings that are younger than her that um, mom was able to parent. So that's something that we um, we have to talk about, you know, sometimes that's difficult um, in, you know, in her situation. And, and my oldest has two like half siblings that I'm not even sure they know that he exists, you know, and how do you kind of bring that up? You know, with them, is there is there a certain point you need? Should I, you know, are we waiting till they turn 18 to kind of seek them out and let them know? Or do we not at all? Do we reach out to the opposite parent, you know, who who has custody and kind of ask permission? It's just I mean, those are kind of the really hard, uh, really hard things um, as far as adoption, you know, and then we also have a lot of hard conversations about race, uh, to be perfectly honest, especially you know, in the current, uh, climate that we are in right now, um, you know, three of, three of them are black, one's black Hispanic, two of them are white. They have a white parent, they have a black parent. So we do have a lot of conversations, uh, about race as well. For those of y'all who have adopted kids who are, you know, not from the same, you know, from a different race or culture as you, you know, how has that posed challenges or has it posed challenges? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of what Nicole was saying is very much playing out in our household. You know, it's not really necessarily questions that the children are raising to us. It's really questions that we as parents are raising with each other. Caleb, you know, Caleb's bio mom was in jail. And then when she got out of jail, she was missing and no one knew where she was. We, in, in, I don't think we have anything like this part B in New York. So we don't really know anything about her. We know she's got like nine other child, biological children. All of them have been taken from her custody and put into foster care. But Caleb's the only one who actually is with a non-family member. So that kind of brings up its own stuff. So, and there's like kind of drugs throughout the whole family. And yeah, so there's lots of questions. He, he asked one time, when I get older, will you help me find my bio mom? And I was, and we we're like, yeah, of course, but you have to remember that, you know, you know, we don't even know where she is. You know, she's kind of been in and out of jail. She has a lot of problems and, you know, and so you have to kind of know what you're getting into. Um, if you want to try to contact her or really anyone in that family because um, they're all kind of in and out of jail. There's lots of drug use. There's lots of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's like how much contact would we want him to have? So it's, it's really like that part's really challenging. Um, he does definitely, as far as going back to your, your question, Seth, about race, like he definitely seems to want to seek out other black kids. Um, he's got a lot of white friends, um, but we definitely try to put him in, like he's in track and he's in basketball and he does football and uh, flag football. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, you know, all of those are incredibly diverse teams, which is really nice. 
Um, and so we, and we've always tried to make sure that we have black male babysitters for him. Um, so, uh, you know, as a male babysitter, I appreciate that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's important. Like he needs that. And especially like a black teen male, because like, like he really kind of needs to see black teen boy role models in his life. Um, and so, yeah. So I don't know. That was just, I don't know where that was going, but it was just, I, I was thinking about what Nicole was saying and what you were, what you had asked. So. No, absolutely. And I think both of you, uh, Kim and Nicole, touched on something really important that we, not explicitly, but um, just through what you're saying that we talk about a lot, which is, uh, you know, giving kids like telling kids the truth, but in an age appropriate way, I think is super important. Like, I don't personally, I don't think there's any benefit to like hiding information from kids until they're like a certain age or, you know, certain bits of information, perhaps, or the whole, but you know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, I think it's important to give kids the truth in an age appropriate way. I think you can do that with anything because I, I don't know, personally, like I remember things that my, my parents hid from me and I just remember feeling really betrayed. Like even though they were doing it, you know, quote unquote for my own good. Um, my, my father had a drug and alcohol problem and I did not know. I mean, they hid it really well for me. I did not, I thought he was going to work meetings when he was going to AA. I had no idea what was going on. And, um, you know, when I was older, I felt like kind of betrayed by it. And, you know, I think if they had just sat me down and told me, you know, in an age appropriate way, what was going on, it would have really benefited from that. I was just going to say that, um, you know, we, we did some of the same things. Uh, we moved to a more diverse neighborhood. You know, we make sure that we have all kinds of print magazines, books that we specifically watch, uh, TV shows, um, you know, racial mirrors is like the most important thing that you can do. Um, you know, in a transracial kind of, uh, family, we make sure that, you know, I take the boys to a black barber and the girls go get their hair braided at a shop. And, you know, one of them's in cheerleading and you know my the baby's too little but i'm sure he will be playing football because he's such a bruiser but you know just that that um that they're exposed so that they're not ever feeling like you know i'm the only one also you know they have each other and you know they have um a parent uh they each have a parent you know that's looks the same as them um my four-year-old actually calls me pink mommy <laughs> when he wants my attention and wants to, you know, distinguish between the two of us. Mommy, mommy, if my wife answers. He goes, no, pink mommy. And it's hysterical. Not so much out in the supermarket, but it's funny. So, so yeah, and just, you know, making sure that um, not just for my kids that are black, but e my white kids even more so, you know, that... You know, my son is the oldest and he's white and it's just like, listen, we have to have these difficult conversations and they're not going to be comfortable and they might be confusing. Um, but, you know, we have to have them. You know, I need you to know that you're going to be able to do things that your little brother and sister are not going to be able to do. And you need to be aware of your surroundings, you know, all the time. And it's just like, you know, he does take his big brother role. Um you know, very seriously. So, uh, he's, he's very, very, um, in touch with his emotions. So he is very sensitive more so much than my daughter, I think in a lot of aspects, which uh, that might be my, uh, my fault for 
for telling him, you know, from such a young age that boys are allowed to cry and have as many feelings as they want. And, you know, women are, you know, strong, right? So you're like embedding them as the opposite of what society tells. So now I have, you know, a mama's boy and a daughter who doesn't cry. But so anyway, um, but yeah, so it's just those, those conversations are tough. And like, as a, as a, you know, white female, it's tough for me as well, but I have to, um, you know, get over that for the, you know, for the safety of my kids down the road, you know, and it's, it's a scary uh, world out there and I just want them to be as prepared as as I can so Kayla loves to wear hoodies and you know, we have to tell him like you can wear a hoodie but we don't want you to wear the hoodie up and you know you're a black boy and you're you know turning 12 and you know you're seen very differently by society right now um, and you have to be careful of the way you dress you have to be careful of the way you speak the way you behave they're going to look at you they're not going to look at the, your white friends um and it's so hard you know it's just horrible to have to even have these conversations so going back to what uh what julie said uh, a couple minutes ago i'm curious you know how you have or would deal with this sort of you know you're not my real parent moment yeah i guess it depends just how it comes out like i i, I said i have no doubt that in the future, if it happens, um, I, I might cry over it. I cry over a lot. But if she does use it as just something cruel, because I remember being, you know, a 15-year-old girl as well. You know, I, I, I think just like anything she says that is inappropriately, and I'm not going to say cruel, um, because that's not her. Um, but she loves to joke. And so sometimes things will come out and they come out a little bit mean and then she'll be like, oh, it was a joke. And I'm like, mm, let's talk about that again. So just, you know, recognizing, letting her recognize that it hurts me and developing, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly working with her on developing compassion and empathy, both, both my girls really. So yeah, I, I hope that day doesn't come. Um, but I would not be surprised if it does. <laughs> sure. I don't know. I don't know how I would deal with it. I, you know, when Caleb gets mad, he gets very, very angry. So could it come out of his mouth? Definitely. Um, do I hope it won't? Of course. I don't know. I think, you know, he is incredibly sensitive and incredibly sympathetic and empathetic and all those nice things. Um, and I think he would feel really sad afterwards because he like when he says things that are hurtful he gets really sad after so I don't even know if I have to do much because I think he probably feel so guilty and bad about it and I think you know usually like we wait until he's calm to be to like have conversation and so I think we were just kind of have a conversation about it and he would probably be the one crying <laughs> I don't I don't I would kind of take it with a grain of salt you know it's like god my my daughter's gonna be 16 and she could be quite nasty sometimes too so you know teenagers are so mean this is the way they're claiming their independence this is you know, the way they're like screw you I don't have to like do what you say and whatever you know 
So it's just kind of like constantly reminding myself, like, this is the stage they're in. They're not going to be like this forever. You know, they're, you know, whatever, you know, (laughs) I said terrible things to my mom when I was a kid. I haven't had it happen yet. I'm sure it will, um, especially with my sassy pants nine-year-old. I mean, my oldest is the same kind of as, as Kim's, very sensitive. And I'm sure if he ever did say it, he would come crying to me 10 minutes later. I'm sure it will happen. And it's just... We'll just have to talk about it afterwards, you know, and just, you know, that really hurt my feelings. You have more than one mom, you know, and I mean, yeah, you know. Absolutely. I think just, you know, breaking it down and talking, talking about it. And I mean, just also like, and obviously there's sort of an added element to it, but just like any hurtful thing, right? Talking about, you know, why it's not okay to just do things to hurt people's feelings. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So in some ways, it's sort of like how you would handle anything like that. Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. I wouldn't skip today's middle bit if I were you because we have some exciting announcements you might be interested in hearing about. First of all, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who participated in our book drive. We were able to get books in the hands of about 250 kids all over the world, so that's really, really amazing. Thank you so much. We're definitely going to be running similar initiatives in the future, so look out for those. Speaking of which, this month there's going to be four giveaways of books, goodies, and all kinds of other things. So there's going to be one each week. So definitely check out our social media for those. The best place to check that out is definitely our Facebook page, which is the most active out of the three. Um, so that's Rad Child Podcast on Facebook. You can also check that out on Instagram or uh, Twitter as well. Again, Rad Child Podcast. And it would not be a proper mid-roll if I didn't remind you about our awesome partner, A Kid's Book About. A Kid's Book About is a great publishing company that has books about all kinds of things we talk about on this podcast. I actually just read their one on systemic racism which was absolutely incredible um, so shout out to that one uh, but almost all of their books that I've read I've loved um, so I would definitely check them out if you do first of all they're having a great sale right now so I would definitely check them out at kidsbookabout.com and also you can get an additional five dollars off if you enter the code radchild so definitely uh, check them out and now it's just the usual stuff. So if you'd like the most up-to-date information about initiatives we're running, giveaways, and things like that, definitely follow us on social media at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can do so by going to www.radchildpodcast.com under the contact us section, or you can email us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in being a guest under that contact us section on the website, there's information about how to do that. All you have to do is fill out a little form and we'll reach out to you if we're interested in having you on the show. And last but certainly not least, if you would like to join the ranks of Alex, Sarah, Kai, and Emma um, by being a patron, you can go to our Patreon page by going to www.patreon.com forward slash radchildpodcast. And on there, you can make a monthly contribution from as little as a dollar. Um, and basically that just helps us to cover our costs at this point. So we really appreciate every little bit that we get. You can get some super awesome rewards, things like bi-monthly bloopers, kids book recommendations personalized for the kids in your life, kids book care packages, care packages with other kinds of goodies in them, uh, and all kinds of really fun things. So definitely check that out. All right, that's about it for me. I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal, and then we'll get back to the show. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. curious and I know one of you I can't remember who talked a little bit about this in the beginning but has an you know another child ever asked questions or made a comment relating to your children being adopted and how did you respond or maybe it was a comment made to your child and how did they respond just the other day my daughter's best friend made some comment to me about kids who were adopted and now I can't remember what it was but it was something where I had to be like no sweetie that's not true (laughs) I guess I just think of all the questions from kids is learning opportunities. Never has a kid. And I, I used to teach um, and I volunteered in, in classrooms and after school stuff. So I've never had a kid say something, say a question like that with, you know, really meaning to be mean. And, you know, this is not adoption specifically, but um, when my ex-husband was in the middle of her transition, you know, that's when I would hear questions more. Um, You know, why, why is that boy wearing a dress or something like that? Um, And again, I just, I think it's a learning opportunity. And, you know, we can, I, I mean, I don't know if what I said was like the right, the best thing to say. Um, but, you know, I think kind of said something like, you know, people, people can wear what they want to wear and you know it it doesn't matter as long as they're kind and (laughs) we you know we try to preach tolerance in our house um and and I try to impress that on my daughter's friends too and um yeah I I do adoption adoption really just doesn't come up that much I think because at least we don't know um of other kids around who are adopted what I think becomes comes up more for us is um you know two mommies or two daddies or whatever um but it's always just been like oh that's just how things are um because my my daughter's best friend has two mommies um and and though we didn't like seek those friends out to give our daughter diversity. Like it, it just happened to be that way. And, and I love that. Um, although it's funny because a couple years ago, I do remember her saying something like, what, two daddies, that's weird. And <laughs> I always just thought, you know, oh, my kid's totally down with, you know, LGBTQ. And I'm like, oh, okay. I realized everybody, you know, her, her aunt and, and her best friend's mom and everything, like they're all lesbians. Um, and the only gay men that she knows don't have kids. So, that, you know, that's something that we do have to talk about. <laughs> 
so funny the like assumptions they make based on the information that they're given. Like I remember one time my, uh, my friend was telling me he uh, was walking down the street with his daughter who, I don't know, maybe she was about five or six. And I, Brooklyn, Brooklyn person will know this, um, but I don't know, for those of you who live in cities, uh, there's oftentimes like these like cellar doors, sort of where like people who are working will go down, um, they're sort of like on the street, like they lead to the basements. And yeah, and one, one time the, you know, they were walking and his daughter was just like, only men can go down there, because she only ever seen a man go down there. I, I think he had said like, oh, you know, don't go near that because it was dangerous. And she was like, yeah, I know, because only men can go down them. And she had just like made that assumption because she'd only ever seen men go down them. And it's so funny the way that, that like kids piece together, you know, the universe based on their observations. That's funny. For for us, yeah, I was just remembering actually that uh, like a few years ago, I mean, kids can be mean. Like, like I remember... Was someone that was like a friend of his said something really mean to him, like those aren't your real parents, and that like your real mommy didn't love you and didn't want you. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, and I was just like, and it was funny because like he didn't tell us this. Like someone, like another parent, overheard this and told us this. And, you know, and we said to him, like, did so-and-so, like, we heard that so-and-so, you know, said this to you. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, that sounds really hurtful. And, and you know, that's not a nice thing to say. And, you know, that's not true, right? He's like, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> it's like, okay, do you want to talk about this? No. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, you know, if you want to talk about it, like, you know, we can talk about it, but that's not a nice thing to say. And as long as you know that that's not true, um, you know, so kids can be really like mean and cruel, but that's like the only kind of negative thing. Most, most of the time it's really just been, oh, like, yeah, he's my son. Oh, yeah, I'm his mommy. Oh, you know, like. And, and then they move on. You want to play ball, you know. But, yeah, that was, like, one time that we were like, wow, this is not cool. I guess there has been some, you know, like, friends when they're in preschool or just starting school and you, like, you know, you go to the little play or musical or, like, whatever show they're putting on for, you know, Christmas or Mother's Day or whatever. And, you know, you see them afterwards and you can just see the kids in their class kind of looking at you I mean this this only happens to the kids that I don't match you know obviously uh the ones I do match you know no one can tell on the outside um so it happens a lot you know um with with the four of them like if I'm if I'm out um and it's just kind of like that's your mom and they're just like yeah like oh okay and um you know the older ones it's the same kind of thing, but, but they just repeat, you know, kind of, uh, what we've practiced at home. And it's just like, you know, because I'll ask them, like, has anyone ever said anything to you? And what did you say? Let's talk about what you can say, you know, families don't have to match and that doesn't make our family less than anyone else's family. So I have heard, you know, my older three say that in response, which is reassuring that they actually hear me and listen <laughs> to what we're talking about. So there have been some between my two girls, like on the school bus, you know, cause, uh, they're only, well, they're two grades apart, but 
they'll ride the school bus together and sit together because they're sisters and like last names sit together. And then, you know, kids on the school bus will be like, that's not your sister. Like, you know, so they have to be like, yes, it is. You know, sisters don't have to match, blah, 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 the whole kind of thing. That's the only time that it's kind of been, um, you know, a little upsetting for me that it was kind of not done out of curiosity, that it was kind of, you know, to make them feel bad, I guess. And I, I didn't love that, you know, so, um, but other times like at birthday parties, it's like the kids don't know. And they're just curious and like, you know, how come you're not the same color? Or like, well, because families don't have to match and we're still sisters and we're still, you know, mom and, you know, that kind of thing. I guess what comes up more even than that is, um, you know, having two moms, you know, that would, that comes up like, where's your dad? Or how come you don't have a dad? And stuff like that. Now, my older ones are like, everyone has a dad, duh, or else you can't get born. Like, so (laughs) you don't know anything about reproduction. Like, what are your parents teaching you? So, I mean, now that he's older, that is kind of funny. But um, and he's also told me that, you know, you know, kids at school are playing around and will say, you know, they get smart, right? And be like, your mom. And he'll be like, which one? I'm glad he, you know, has chosen to use humor as a deflection, but, but yeah, so nothing really besides those couple of things have, have ever come up, um, you know, that weren't just like, they weren't curious. And then you just kind of have a teachable moment and move on with your life. Um, what bugs me more is like when we go all out together and, you know, it's not the kids, it's the adults that are trying to figure out like, Hmm, who's is whose and what is going on here, you know, kind of thing. Um, people just automatically assume that, you know, that, you know, three of my kids are my wife's and two of them are mine and nobody knows where the one that's biracial is from. You know what I mean? It's just like you can constantly see people trying to like uh figure it out. I mean, I guess it doesn't bother me anymore, but it did it did in the beginning, especially when we were like, we were dating and I had the three kids myself, right? And my youngest at the time was my only black kid. And we would go out and people would automatically look at her and be like, oh, you know, is that your mom? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's, they're mine. Okay. Like, we're, you know, we weren't even married. We were just dating. It was like, she has no parental responsibility. They're, they're mine. Thank you. I take full responsibility for the raising of these three children. Thank you very much. That's pretty much all kids have really said. It's so funny, though, like you're talking about the assumptions people make. I, I get that a lot as a nanny because I've worked for many different families of many different races and you know backgrounds. And, you know, often when I was with a kid who was not the same race as me, I would always be getting these looks. And even sometimes when I was with a kid who's the same race, I look very young. So people will be like, brother, like, sit, like, what's happening here, you know? And sometimes, you know, people would even ask me, which is whatever people are. I'm like, yeah, we're on the train together. I'm never going to see you again. Why do you need to know my relationship to this child? But there was one particular time that I was with a little kid who was Indian. And, uh, you know, we clearly, you know, did not look the same. And uh, I had him, you know, in a carrier. And this person walked up to me and they were like, is he adopted? And I, and I was like, no, because he wasn't. I wasn't going to get into like, I'm his nanny. It doesn't mean whatever. So I was just like, no. And he was like, oh. And they kind of walked away. And then he came back and was like, do you have a wife? And I was like, yeah, yes. And then he stepped away again and came back a minute later and was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. It's just that, like, you look pretty gay. So I assumed that he was adopted. 
And I was like, gay people can also have children and aren't adopted. Like, there's so many weird assumptions happening here. New York City people are just like a, a thing of their own. But that was always interesting to me, too. And I would be with families and like, or like there was one mother who I used to go into a coffee shop with, with the kids every day. And one day, and this was before I was really passing uh, as male. And so people were assuming that I was a woman. And uh, the, the coffee, the owner one day of the cafe, I was in with the twins without the mother and they were like oh where's your partner and I was like oh no <laughs> that's that is my boss that's weird but so going to some sort of happy things uh I'm curious you know what has been some of the most amazing experiences you've had as an adoptive parent and I'm sure there are lots to choose from oh my god I mean it's just it it's amazing like having um dealt with um multiple miscarriages and you know it was about five years um from the time that um I started trying till um my daughter was born and I went through uh with adoption I went through um a scam um and you know it was just there was a lot of heartbreak and now you know my family just I, I don't know if that's given me an extra appreciation or this is how all biological parents are, but um, I I just love it. And, you know, so even when my daughter is, you know, yelling at me, no, and not so much when she's yelling at me or, or uh, whining, like that's annoying. But when she's like, mom, um, because she is also very sassy pants. And, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I get to, I get to hear someone tell me mom, like, <laughs> that annoying voice and and I just love that and and like I said this year um you know there's been a lot of downs I uh essentially I'm I'm high risk and essentially had to close close the majority of my business um because of COVID but it's so it's been so great and I it, it to be able to spend all this time um with the girls and and I know that I am so privileged because there are so many people who are in very different situations uh, than I am, you know, and I, I was a single mom for a little while and I can't imagine how things would be if, if I were still there. But, you know, um, at the, this point, I'm married to a wonderful man who can support our family for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, I've been able to uh, start uh, taking taking online classes to, to learn new skills and do hobbies and, and just spend all that time with them and like just snuggle and, and, you know, watch them grow. Um, we do a lot of, I, I ask them a lot of questions at dinner time. you know, we go through, okay, what's the, the history, you know, and, um, and my oldest daughter's doing like, revolutionary war stuff and then my youngest daughter loves hamilton so she knows some of the same answers <laughs> and just just being able to live that way every day just you know i won't say it makes me happy all the time because you know i suffer from the same ups and downs as as anyone else but it just sort of puts me it it does put a little bit of perspective um on things that i don't know that i would have if you know, I had gotten pregnant right away and, and carried a baby to term. <laughs> Everything is amazing. Uh, except when he's being a jerk. <laughs> um, no, uh, I don't know. It was, it's funny because when I was a kid, I always knew I wanted to adopt. 
Um, and so it wasn't even a question. Um, and so, so when we had, we had did the foster to adopt, I remember like when he came to us and the next day I was walking around with him with like in a Bjorn and, um, carrying him. And I remember thinking, this is the best thing ever, you know, like, like I have a baby and like, I didn't have to give birth. I didn't have to like be pregnant. Like, you know, like I love this. I was full of energy and I wasn't recovering from anything with my first one. I had a C-section and I'm like, everyone should do this. This is, and it was just so fun. I just remember like skipping around thinking this is the best thing ever. And he's just, he's so funny and he just makes us laugh every day. Um, he drives us crazy every day. And, um, yeah, I don't know. He's just like this amazing kid. Um, and, and watching, uh, watching him with, with our daughter is amazing too. I guess the best things have been like the same that would be for the best things, you know, as if I would have given birth, right. When you see them, you know, take their first step and, you know, go to school and learn and excel and just, I mean, you're just so proud of each one of them and just their personalities and the the mannerisms, I think, are the funniest thing to me, like that my oldest, you know, obviously picked up from me, which like, I think that's hysterical, you know, that we're not biologically related, but that he talks, you know, he talks like me, he uses his hands like me. It's just like, it's so funny, you know, and people are like, always shocked when, you know, when I tell them like, yeah, yeah, he's adopted. And they're like, what? No way. Just like, yeah, no, really. Like, I mean, it's just so funny, those kinds of things. And I, I remember like, when he, he came at six days old from the hospital, and they just, you know, they just drop him off. And it's like, you know, I do the I did the classes and my house was licensed and I did every, you know, everything you're supposed to do. And then, then he was like one of my first, he actually was my second placement ever. And they just drop them off and leave. And it's just like, wait, wait, uh, you just left a baby. Like, you just, you don't, you don't know me. You just left this baby at my house. And it's just like, it's so crazy. It's just so crazy that you go from, like no baby to a baby in a blink. And it's just like, oh my gosh, it's the craziest thing. And then to just, you know, to watch them grow into this, you know, person, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it is a privilege, you know, and it also makes me very grateful that, you know, every, every one of our kids, you know, birth parents at one point or another relinquished on their own. And, and it's just like, you feel sad, right? It's kind of this inner turmoil, because it's like, you feel bad for being so happy on a day that that someone else is so sad. Friend of mine who, I think she was adopted. And she said something once, that really resonated. And it's that you know, adoption is no one's first choice. And it's interesting, because even though it has led, you know, to such 
great happiness for me. I, Nicole, you know, echo you in that knowing how heartbreaking it was. I mean, I was in the room when her birth parents um, signed their TPR and that was impossible. And I, I have another um, friend, Cheryl Klein, who I met through an adoption group and she uh, she's a writer. So you can look up some of her work and she talks about her adoptive son. And, and I think they're trying to adopt another and just how, you know, this twist of fate, like, you know, she is lucky enough to have, have the privilege of enough money and, and the, the things that she has um, that allow her to be an adoptive parent. And that, you know, with a different twist of fate, you know, these people who place their kids for adoption, you know, could be in an entirely different situation. And, um, and even though I feel like my situation ended up like, sort of happily ever after in some ways. I mean, just, you know, I, I know that it still pains her birth mother, you know, to know that she couldn't, that she could not take care of Lorelai. Um, and, uh, and I hate that in this country, um, you know, it's state by state with adoption laws. Um, but there was no mandated counseling or, you know, any sort of, um, help for her after the birth. And we did, um, I think off, I think we offered to pay for counseling. Um, but you know, she, she didn't want it. She didn't have a lot of support from her family, um, about the adoption. They wanted, um, her to keep Lorelai, even though, you know, she was a teenager and already had a kid and, you know, not in a position to, to do so. Um, And I just, I just wish that adoption was, it, it, I guess it's not as easy (laughs) as, you know, sort of the the tagline, oh, you know, don't abort, adopt. Like, (laughs) it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch. (laughs) And even though I have benefited from it, you know, infinitely, I, I just... It's not something that I would recommend for everybody because it's always bittersweet. And sort of so sort of going directly off of that, you know, what advice do you have for folks who maybe are considering adoption? My adoption process, let's say we started. OK, I, I, I felt like it was very hard to figure out, like, you want to adopt. So now what? Like, what do you do? Um, and I did reach out to the foster uh, local foster, um, social, the social workers here. And they said, honestly, don't foster to adopt. Um, our goal is to reunite, um, the children with biological family. And so the chances that you will be able to adopt that way are very small. So don't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, which is really sad. Um, I, I mean, the research says that that's best for the kids. And so, you know, Yay, I'm, I'm glad that they can do that. But it also, there's so many kids in the foster care system um, that it, it would have been nice to, to be able to take that option a little more seriously. Um, so originally, we went to some sort of um, introductory meeting with 
an adoption agency, um, but ultimately ended up adopting independently, which means that essentially we had um, a an adoption. I'm not sure uh, if, if he's called an agent or, or what he was exactly, um, but he, he performed the home study, um, which made, made us eligible to adopt. Um, and then after that, he said to us, um, you know, the best way to adopt is just let, like, put it out there that you're looking. Um, so I did. And, you know, it, it was scary to do that because it was a very private thing. <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't want that need for privacy to stop me um, from having a baby. So uh, I put out there, I, I shared a post on my business blog and, you know, asked people to share it. And I had lots of people sharing it and a lot of really great feedback, um, but nothing really came of it. Um, so I ended up using a site called adoptimist.com. And we had a profile in a few of them, but I, I remember not really feeling great about some of them because they weren't like LGBTQ friendly. And, and you know, even though um, I'm straight, I'm gay ally. And that was like, I really don't feel comfortable with this. So I really liked Adoptimist because it was, you know, anybody who had home study could sign up for it. Um, and you put up a profile and um, being a photographer, I was like, we are getting real pictures. And um, so like pretty much for the year beforehand, um, I had been taking like lots of pictures all the time and making sure, you know, to hand my camera to someone else. Can you, can I, can I get in the picture? Um, and then, and got some professional um just couples pictures done. And then I would constantly update the profile. Um, I'm someone who feels like she needs to be like working towards a goal. So that it gave me a lot of hope um, in a time when I had been, you know, very disheartened um, and upset uh, about not being able to have a baby biologically. Um, and so I kept working on that. And like I said, I did have a scam. And that's something that I would recommend that all parents looking to do independent adoption or even agency adoption, um, like be aware that there are people out there who just want your attention. And so we'll put up fake profiles. So I always thought scams involved money. And this woman, and, and so I sort of, this woman was never asking for money. So I ignored the red flags that I saw, like the ultrasound picture had the wrong date on it. And I, there were some very obvious signs in hindsight, <laughs> but at the time, you know, I, I kind of wrote them off and really, you know, I, I found out, I ended up finding out later because she scammed another couple um, that, you know, it was, she actually had a fake stomach. I met with her. Um Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and but but the police couldn't really do anything. You know, this this couple had lost like five grand because they had already gone through a lawyer and everything and it was all fake. So you definitely need to have a lawyer. And um, depending on the state, they may need to have a lawyer as well. Um, you know, I just got got lucky with Lorelai's birth mom. Um, I felt she was really forthcoming. The the one red flag they told us to look for was when the family's not supportive of it because they can kind of change their minds at the last minute. But I I felt like I felt like this was we just had this amazing connection. And um she said to me, she said to me a few weeks, I think, after Lorelai was born, she said, you know what? You live five hours away. And you showed up to the hospital after my water broke before my family who lives 20 minutes away. She said, I knew, you know, 
that this was right. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it just just reading about the signs and, and being cautious, and it's so hard because you're putting your heart out there, <laughs> but just knowing that it, it can happen um, and and being able to put yourself out there again and again. I mean, it's sort of like dating, but <laughs> yeah, I was say, it sounds like Tinder for adopting, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and so ultimately it was that website that led to it. Um, the, her birth mother contacted me she, and we just kind of hit it off. And um, in a way that I hadn't with the other women who contacted me. And one of the things that I would say is like, you know, you get this advice about how you should appear on these profiles. Um, and beyond saying you should have professional, really good looking pictures, because it matters, <laughs> not just I don't say that just as a photographer, but as someone who, you know, some of these women, one of them said to me, she was like, you know, I, I had asked her, why did you contact me? And she said, you know, everybody looks perfect on their profiles. Like, like what, what you read is perfect. She said, I just liked your picture, you know? And so I was really, I was honest with my profile, but you know, didn't, you don't air your dirty laundry out there right away either. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, it, it really did feel like a dating profile <laughs> doing the same kind of things. And then, you know, being completely honest about sort of what I, expected once I had met her and and being honest about you know some of some of the negatives um and that's something that I do feel guilty about sometimes like whenever something negative happens in my daughter's life thinking oh my god like if she was not my daughter this would not be happening to her um and and I know I'm being unfair to myself because bad things happen no matter who you are and where you are and who you're with. Um, but that's, that's something I'm still working on for myself. So, um, but I would say the whole thing only took from the time we finished our home study till the day that Lorelai was born was uh, about 10 months. So it really was not now I know there are people who wait years and even decades, um, but independent domestic adoption um, ended up being just a really good option for me. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think because, you know, my path is a little different than Julie's because we didn't do the private adoption. Um, we did, uh, you know, the foster to adopt. We actually, before deciding we were going to go that route, we spoke to a number of people um, who had successful foster to adopt. And so we do kind of, we knew we wanted to go that route. We knew that it was riskier because a lot of agencies do, you know, their, their priority is to reunite, but the agency knew that we were very specific about wanting to adopt. Um, and so I think that helped. Um, we got called for a few different cases that didn't really seem like the right fit for us. Um, so then when we got the call for Caleb, um, it did feel like the right fit. He was a newborn. He was um, didn't have any drugs in his system. He had a his mother was incarcerated, and he was the ninth, uh, the tenth child. And so, um, like all of these things, you know, the the agency said. 
you know, the chances that you'll be able to adopt them are really high. Um, and so we took that chance. There was uh, a cousin who kind of came out of the woodwork after three months of having him um, who was fighting for him but because of her situation. She, you know, it didn't work out with her, but we did do a lot of visitation with her. And that was really scary. You know, it was it was really awesome meeting her and really awesome that she was taking such an interest in him. But we kept hearing kind of all these weird things about like her. And so I think, you know, when you're going through foster care, I think you just have to really be aware that like anything can happen, you know, and we have friends who tried to adopt through foster care and they had, I think, three placements with them and none of them worked out for them to be able to adopt. It took almost exactly two years because we celebrated his adoption and two-year birthday at the same time. Um, so it was in October and his birthday is in November. So it was almost exactly two years. Um, and apparently for the foster care system in New York City, that's really fast. For us, it did not feel fast. But it is, it's really scary because we would go to the store and we'd be like, oh my God, look at these cute clothes. That would be perfect for him next year. But we don't know if we're going to still have him next year. Um, so like things like that were really hard. And we also like going through the foster care system, there's a lot of people involved, right? So you have like, you know, a, a lawyer who's kind of there for the child, right? And then you have ACS, which is kind of the city agency. And then there's the private agency. Now, the the lawyer and my friend who was also a lawyer who used to work with ACS and ACS themselves were all saying, oh my God, no, there's no way that they're going to take him from your home. But then we had the agency that's like, oh yeah, he can easily go with the cousin. And so we got a lot of mixed messages, which made it really difficult uh, emotionally. Um, you know, I think that's something to also just kind of be aware of, that there's a lot, when going through foster care, there's a lot of parties involved and they all could be saying very different things. Um, and just, you know, just kind of really going in with your eyes open. You know, and it was also hard because we already had a child who was forming an attachment to him. So, you know, you have to kind of go in just knowing all of these things and just hoping for the best. And wherever that baby winds up, whether it's with you or with whoever, um, you got to hope that it's the best placement. It's pretty much along the same lines as Kim. Um, obviously, foster care is an emotional roller coaster for everyone involved. So for me, I, I started fostering pretty much to get my feet wet, so to speak. You know, I was teaching, I had a house, and I was not in a, a relationship. And it was just kind of like, well, you know, what am I waiting for? I know I want to be a parent. You know, I've been around kids my whole life with this big Italian family. And just, you know, I know that foster care's main purpose is to reunify. So I, I looked at it as an opportunity to help uh, kids in need and, you know, take care of them um, while their, you know, birth parents um, were getting whatever they needed to get together and then, you know, be happy when they're reunified and then have a break in my single whatever life, right? You know, that it wasn't kind of this 
permanent responsibility. It was going to be, um, you know, being a a part-time parent is what I kind of, um, looked at it from the beginning. So I got, uh, you know, after you do all the home study and this and that and everything, um, I had like an emergency placement for the weekend and then the following, she was, you know, uh, went back very quickly. It was like, whatever, who knows? I don't even know really, to be perfectly honest, but sometimes, you know, when the workers call, you get lots of details and sometimes you don't get any. And unfortunately in New Jersey, at least, um, foster parents are not privy to the case. So, um, they don't really have to tell you anything. Yeah. So, you know, they'll call and say, Hey, do you, can you accept a placement? And they'll tell you the age and the, sometimes the gender and sometimes the gender's wrong when the kids show up at your house. It's, yes, that has happened to some friends. You know, you're expecting a boy baby from the hospital and they show up and it's a girl baby. And it's like, whoops, our bad. Sorry. It's, it's, I mean, it really is just, it's just a whirlwind. And I know that a lot of, you know, they're overworked and there's a lot of stuff going on all the time. So it's just, you kind of, Again, like what Kim said, you just have to really make sure that you your eyes are open, right? And I would never tell anyone not to do it, but you need to be doing it for the right reasons and you need to know like you can't not get attached, right? So there's people that are like, "Oh, I could never, you know, foster care because if they go back, I'll be I'll be so sad and I'll get too attached." But like that's, that's the point. Like you need to get attached. It's, it's, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to take care of this baby. You're supposed to get attached. That's what they need. Right. And when, if, and when they reunify, like you're an adult and you go on and you find ways to cope and, you know, and that baby takes what you have given them, you know, on to wherever they go next, you know, and that, you can't replace that. That's a really beautiful way of saying that. You know, then they called and my oldest came and when he was six months old, his birth mom um, relinquished her rights voluntarily. Uh, we met, uh, he, he had a last visit. She, you know, she held him, she sang to him, she cried, I cried, It was, we hugged, it was, it was crazy. And then, you know, workers are telling me this doesn't happen, don't get used to this. Like you never have like, you know, a, a newborn just adopted before you know their one he was adopted by the time he was um seven months old so it was very quick and then you know you get tricked into thinking it's that easy right because you know then my daughter came at nine months and her case was two and a half years back and forth of like you know parents working the program parents not working the program showing up not showing up you know all the while you have a caseworker you have a nurse you have a law guardian you have you know the division and it's just it's a lot you know you have the baby going on on visits you know and coming back upset um because it's thrown them from their your whole routine right um so that part is emotional. And I did have, uh, another child from birth to two years and he was reunified. Um, and it was probably the most painful like thing I've ever been through, but like I kept going, you know, because it's, I just have to focus on that. What happened happened for a reason. And 
he was with me to get what he needed. And the space needed to be open for someone who wasn't going to be able to be reunified. And that's when, you know, our my preemie came. And, and he also was another two years. So most of them were about two and a half years from the time they were placed until the adoption was finalized. So it does take a long time. And even within that, you know, the the goal can change, you know, and it's just like, oh, the goal is reunification, where then it's like, oh, we're changing the goal to adoption. You're, you know, you're all like, you're celebrating. And uh, two months later at another hearing, you know, parent did X, Y, and Z, and they can flip it back to reunification. So, you know, nothing's, nothing is, you know, kind of permanent until it's permanent. It's kind of, you're living in this kind of limbo. So you just have to be prepared for that. And I don't know if there is really any way to prepare, to be honest. It's just, you just kind of have to, you have to go through it and be as present as you can be and learn how to cope in in the aftermath when it doesn't go the way that you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for sharing that. So uh, as we start to uh, wrap things up here, I'm just curious if any of you have resources um, about adoption for other kids, adults, you know, it could be children's books or shows, websites, anything you can think of. My favorite book to read to my daughter was called A Mother for Choco or Choco. I never figured out how it was pronounced. Uh, C-H-O-C-O. It's about this this little, uh, now I don't even remember what animal. This animal is going around um, looking for their mother. Yeah, I think it's a bird, but but meets a bear and the bear is trying to help them. And then, and then says, well, you know, at the end, you can't find anyone who looks like you, but um, how about if I become your mother? And, and um, oh my God, I just, cry. (laughs) It's a a great book um, to read to kids. (laughs) The Todd Parr books were our favorites to read just because they celebrate diversity and uh, all different kinds of families. And just like, it's so bright. His books are so bright and colorful and fabulous and happy. and, um, And then one that's specific to adoption that we used to read our son a lot was Horace, H-O-R-A-C-E, by Holly Keller, where these striped tigers adopt a spotted cat. (laughs) So I I like that because, you know, the parents look different than the the baby. Um, I'm going to also say Todd Parr, the family book, and We Belong Together is adoption related. The little ones love them. They're my favorite. And there's also a, a new one. It's not adoption related, but very, very diverse. It's called All Are Welcome Here by Alexandra Penfold. And it's really, really great. There's so many, so many diverse um, characters um, in the story. It's like all about all these little kids coming to school. And there's pictures of all their different families and all different kinds of families. I, I love it. So just as uh, we wrap things up, I'm curious if you have any personal projects or things that you want to plug. It doesn't have to be related to the topic at all. Um, And where can people find you on the internet if you would like to be found? I am at julienapierphotography.com. That's spelled J-U-L-I-E-N-A-P-E-A-R photography.com. Like I said, I am sadly not shooting weddings. Over about 12 people right now. Um, But I do... Not only do I do family shoots, um, but I actually give a major, major discount to families who have a valid home study um, for any um, 
potential adoptive parents? <laughs> um, I'm not working on anything, um, but if anyone's interested, I do belong to Philadelphia Family Pride, which is like a great organization based out of Philly for um, gay families. And they have a big conference every year, which I usually um, uh, speak at. Um, there's like breakout sessions and stuff like that. And they always have programs for the kids, which my kids love. They love going, you know, and meeting other kids who have um, two moms, two dads, trans parents, all kinds of stuff. So it really gets them exposed um, to other families who are like ours. And a lot more families also um, have adopted as well. So it kind of meets two of their needs at the same time. Also, Foster the Family is a great organization. Um, that helps out with our um, community and um, like giving resources out to new foster parents. They, they take bags of stuff, meals, clothes, when you get a new placement and stuff like that. So I really love, um, really love them. And they have meetings um, about once a month where all of the uh, moms, you know, get together and we kind of talk and um, vent and, <laughs> and our kids play and stuff like that. So recently, obviously we haven't been doing those things. <laughs> Um, except for virtually. And I do believe the um, foster, I'm sorry, the Philadelphia Family Pride Conference is also virtual this year. So you don't have to be in Philadelphia to go. You can still get tickets and tune in for, for all of the, um, you know, conference uh, virtually. So, and I'm at um, Nicole Molinari on Facebook. So anyone can find me there. All right. Thank you all so much. Uh, this has been such a rich conversation i really appreciate your time and yeah thank you for being here and remember stay rad October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is Fish with Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- Wait for adults and kids. <sighs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. Previous guests have included a Reiki healer, the heir to the Redenbacher popcorn throne, the person definitely not responsible for the murder hornet outbreak, and Jack Nicholson. Comes out Mondays, early in the morning. Check it out, you might laugh.